As we continue in Mark, we're in chapter 5 this morning. Um, Mark's already shown us again and again that the creator of all things has come in the flesh, in the person of Jesus, and has come to reveal himself to us as the, king, the crucified king, who is the king of a new creation. And today, we're finishing a little small section that Mark has in chapters 4 and 5, where he is illustrated again that Jesus is, in fact, the king and, and has absolute creative and authoritative power over every aspect of his broken creation. We saw in chapter 4 last week uh, that Eric preached that he has the power over the wind and the waves. Um, in the story right before the one that we're looking at this morning, Jesus uh, set a man free from a legion of demons. So Jesus has power over all the powers of darkness who uh, threaten to destroy us. And this morning we're going to see that Jesus has power over disease and even death itself. So would you pray with me after I read, to, after we read together Mark five twenty one to 43, hear the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, uh, you see the crowd pressing around you, and, and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear. Only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. 
And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside, took the child's father and mother and those who were with him, and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, this is indeed your word, and we are your people, and we need it. We need what you have to say to us this morning. We need what you have led Mark to record for us this morning about this man and this woman. And so we ask that you would come and show us Jesus and enable our hearts to grab hold of him. In his name we pray. Amen. Perhaps during the greeting time you said to someone, fine, I'm, I'm fine, how are you? Anybody say that? Fine. Uh, we here at Mountain Fellowship, if you've been here long enough with us, um, we're all fine. That is, if you mean by fine... F-I-N-E, fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. If that's what we mean by fine, then I'm fine. How about you? Fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. Mark recorded this story that we just read in Mark 5. To let you know that Jesus came to be the crucified king of fine people, like you and me, who know and who are not afraid to show that we are not fine, but we are indeed fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. And I've actually had several new folks who have been recent guests of Mountain Fellowship expressed to me how much they appreciate that you all know that you're not fine, but that you are fine. Um, Thank you for being the kind of church that's willing to admit that you are broken and needy, desperate and helpless, that you've tried everything and have found nothing except Jesus that will give you the life you long for. Because all of us in some ways have reached out to grab hold of something else that we hope would give us life. We've grabbed hold of other people. We've grabbed hold of this program or that plan. We've grabbed hold of this position or that possession. And we've even grabbed hold of a place like Signal Mountain, beautiful Signal Mountain, hoping that somehow they would give us the power we need to live the life we long to live. 
but we've realized to some degree that they don't live up to the promise. And if that's you this morning, then you're going to love Jairus. <laughs> if you are that kind of fine, then you're going to love this woman who has a broken body because they, too, are fouled up, insecure, neurotic, and exhausted. And that is what drives them to Jesus. Mark wrote this story for you and for me to show us that the kind of faith that touches Jesus is the kind of faith that loosens its grip on every other so-called power and desperately grabs hold of Jesus. It's the kind of faith that grabs his heart. So, here's what I want to do. I want to spend a few minutes looking at the kind of faith that touches Jesus. And then I want to talk about and show you something more that Mark wants you to know than Jairus and this woman's faith. Stay tuned. Jairus, his name means that his name literally means he enlightens. And so he's going to enlighten us as to what it means to have the kind of faith that touches Jesus. So one of the rulers of the synagogue, Mark says, Jairus by name, came to Jesus. The, the rulers of the synagogue were kind of like our deacons in a way. Um, they managed the synagogue facilities. They were administrators. Uh, they managed the logistics of the Sabbath service. Like our deacons do, they, they set up and they make sure everything's in place so that we can worship Jesus together. Um, interesting, they were the keepers of the scrolls. So if a scroll wore out, they would make sure there was a, a fresh copy. They were the keepers of the scrolls, much like our uh, deacons are the keepers of the communion table. They make sure that we, we have that. So this is who... Jairus was. He was a prominent figure in his synagogue. And by coming to Jesus, he risked his reputation um, because the religious leaders, as we saw earlier in Mark, were already plotting to destroy Jesus. So to come to Jesus as Jairus does is to risk his reputation. His faith was risky and bold. And then it says, Jairus came to him and seeing Jesus, see, he recognized who Jesus was. He knew something about Jesus. He had heard something about Jesus. He knew who he was. Out of all the people that were thronged around, he knew who Jesus was. So his faith was based on something that he had heard about Jesus or seen in Jesus. And he rested his faith on whatever he knew about Jesus to that point. Then it says that Jairus fell at Jesus' feet and implored him earnestly. He begged like a beggar. Can't you just hear the haters now? Oh, my. Jairus has humiliated himself. He's making a fool of himself in front of everybody. He really believes this miracle worker is going to help his daughter. Jairus had a needy faith, desperately needy faith. So needy he was that he was willing to make a fool out of himself and beg. He had a needy faith. And then Jairus said, 
My little daughter is at the point of death. Little daughter. Little daughter, that's a, that's a special little phrase, a special little term. And uh, Mark might be the only one who uses it um, in the Gospels. It's not just daughter, that's one word. This is little daughter. It's, it's a term of fatherly affection for his little girl. She was 12 years old, so she was actually on the threshold of becoming an adult and, and being married. And yet, he still thinks of her as, as his little daughter. When I hear Jairus say this, I think of our own, some of our own deacons, some of other men in our church who have little daughters. I think of uh, Larry Perry, who uh, by his own, in his own words, is crusty. He's not here. This is not fair, is it? Um, but he would tell you, I'm, I'm just a crusty, tough old fill-in-the-blank. But you talk to Larry about Taylor. You talk to Larry about Meg. Tender tears come to the man's eyes. I've seen them. I think about the tough and tenacious Marine, Jim West, who, if his little daughter, Evie Lee, nestles her sweet little head in his neck, he melts. I've seen it. I think about our chairman of the deacons, Mark Wyatt, who a week from today will probably hold Harper May in his hands for the first time. This father of three rough-and-tumble boys will learn what it means to have a little daughter. Watch out, Mark. It's all over, buddy. Um, so think about Jairus. Think about what he's, he's feeling as he's about to lose what's precious to him. You tell one of those men I just mentioned that their daughter is at the point of death. They will be desperate to do whatever they can to make her well. Jairus had a desperate faith. And he said, come, lay your hands on her so that she may be well and live, so that she may be made well and live. Jairus was confident that Jesus could do what he was powerless to do. And he came, Jairus came to Jesus as one who knew he was, he was powerless to one who he was confident had the power. So his faith, was, his faith was confident. Some of you are in powerless situations in your life right now. Things that are absolutely out of your control. Jairus was a man who knew what it meant to be in control of stuff. He would go to work and make things happen. He came home and there was something at home he couldn't fix. And so he came to Jesus. The woman who had this uterine hemorrhage for 12 years was not much unlike Jairus. 
So Jesus went with Jairus and the great crowd thronged around them, Mark says. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, a chronic disease. Some of you know what that's like, to have a chronic illness that just won't go away. It's interesting that in a few verses, Mark refers to this twice as a disease, and that word disease is the same word for a scourge, a whip that they use to flog people. That's what it feels like to have a chronic illness that just won't go away. It feels like you're being flogged every day. Some of you know what that's like. But this particular illness, this, this bleeding, had another impact on her life. Uh, because of the Levitical laws, Levitica, Leviticus 15 made it clear that she could not enter into uh, the women's part of the temple with this discharge of blood. She, she was cut off from the community. No one could touch her lest they become unclean. They couldn't even touch what she was wearing or they would become unclean. So she was unclean and she was outcast. She couldn't get married because that man would constantly be unclean. She would never have children because of that. This woman was alone, left out, unwanted. And like Jairus, her faith arises from a place of powerlessness. There's absolutely nothing she could do to change her status. And she tried. She, uh, Mark says she suffered under much under many physicians. My apologies to all the medical profession, professionals today. But she suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had tried everything she could possibly think of to change her situation. But like Jairus, she knew she had nowhere else to turn. So her faith came from a place of disappointment with all other sources of help that she had tried. It came from a place of emptiness. Mark says she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. She had heard the reports about Jesus. So like, like Jairus... She came to Jesus because of what she had heard about him. Her faith was based on what she knew about him. Faith is bringing all that you know about yourself and resting it on all that you know about your Savior, Jesus. As little as you know about yourself and as little as you know about him, faith is resting all that you know about yourself on all that you know about your Savior. And that's what she did. And she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Like Jairus, she had a confidence in Jesus that he had the power to do what she did not have the power to do but needed. So in both Jairus and this woman, Mark is showing us that this kind of faith does not believe that we're all just basically good people who have a few problems that we can handle. No, absolutely not. 
This faith accepts the reality that we're broken people living in a broken world, and we are out of control. We're helpless to fix the brokenness in ourselves or the brokenness in others. Sinclair Ferguson reflected on this story, and he said, this is what true faith means. We are driven to Jesus in utter helplessness. And many of you know what that's like. So the faith that touches the heart of Jesus is powerless, it's bold, it's desperate, and yet it's confident in him. But the faith of Jairus and this woman are not what I think Mark wants you to see the most this morning. I think Mark wants you to see and me to see, and me to see that the power we need is not in our faith. After all, we can have bold, and we do have bold, desperate, confident faith in all kinds of things. For example, we have bold, desperate, confident faith in other people. In our, our parents, boyfriends, girlfriends, spouses, friends. And yet, if we're honest, we have to admit that though we boldly, desperately, and confidently trust them to give us life that we need, they can't do it. Yes, they're gifts to us. Yes, they're a joy to us. Yes, there's life that comes there. But ultimately, they can't give us the life that we really need. And you find out that you've been boldly, desperately, confidently grabbing hold of someone else besides Jesus when you lose that person. And I'm not saying it's not right to grieve the loss of a person. Of course we do. Of course we do. They were a gift from God. But ultimately... If the gospel is true, if the Bible is true, if what Jesus says is true, then even if I lose the person that I have leaned on the most, I still have him. So it's not, in, it's not the power of faith it's not just that it's desperate and bold and confident because that faith can be placed in something that's not going to give us the power and the life we need. We do the same thing with possessions. We, whether it's your house, a car, clothes, your bank account, this thing, your phone, or even the apps on your phone. Have you ever been asked not to have an app on your phone? Young people? <laughs> I mean, I think, I've thought about giving up Facebook every now and then. But I'm like, but I'll lose all that connection with the world and people who love me. <laughs> so maybe I depend on it a little more than I think I do. 
Maybe I'm asking something to give me the life that only Jesus can give me. And I know that I am clinging to grabbing hold of one of those possessions too much when I lose them. Notice that Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Now, I wrestled with that. What does he mean? Is he saying that it's her faith that saved her? Well, if it's just faith, then then just just believe. (laughs) Right? But it's a particular kind of faith because... Jesus, Mark also said that Jesus perceived that power went out from him. So the power was not in her faith. The power was not in her. The power was in Jesus. And her faith grabbed a hold of the power that was in Jesus. When I was a little boy, I visited, we visited some family somewhere. I don't remember where it was. All I remember was that in this backyard, there was a wire fence, and it was just, you know, wooden post, wooden post, and three wires that went across in between each post. And I wanted to see the dogs or animals or whatever were in the next yard, so I walked over, and being small as I was, I wanted to look, and I just grabbed the middle wire. <laughs> and you wonder why I shake like I do, uh, but... I don't think that's it. But, but I got a jolt out of that thing and the tingling went up my arm and into my body. The power was not in me until I grabbed the thing that had the power. So the power is, is not in your faith. It's not in you. The power is in Jesus. And Jairus and this woman grabbed hold of him. The power we need is not inside us. It's in Jesus. So Mark wants wants us to see more than the faith that touches Jesus. He wants us to see the Jesus that faith touches. So what is this power that Jesus has that makes him worth grabbing hold of? Is it the power of the heal? Because he healed the woman. Well, yes. Jesus has the power to heal, and that makes him worth grabbing hold of. He can do it. Does he do it for everyone? No. Hundreds touched him that day, remember? Only one got the healing. So he doesn't heal everyone. Now you might say, okay, yeah, 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 but the one he healed had faith. So Jesus heals everyone with faith, right? Well, no, let's ask the Apostle Paul about that one. Remember 2 Corinthians 12? He had a thorn in the flesh that many believe was a physical condition. And he asked, he pled with Jesus three times. He even did the begging thing that Jairus did three times to take it away, and he didn't. Three times I pled with the Lord about this, 
that it should leave me. But he said to me, Jesus said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, said Paul, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. So, sometimes Jesus will not use his power to heal you physically or take away your weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Because he wants you to know a greater power that can only be known in your weakness. And that's the power of his sufficient, sustaining grace. Someone told me that just this week um, about an excruciating situation in their life. And they said, in essence, these are my words, but this is, in essence, what they said to me. I know that Jesus is real and that he's called me to be his and to give life to other people, even people who will not give life back to me, as this situation was, but who actually suck the life out of me and others I love. I know that he's real and that he wants me to continue to do that. And so that's what I'm going to do. So if you know that all you can do in your present circumstances is hang on to Jesus and keep serving and loving the people that Jesus has given you in your life, then you are experiencing the power of the sufficient and sustaining grace of Jesus in your life. You are, even if he hasn't healed you. So yes, the power to heal and the power to sustain us when he chooses not to heal, those make Jesus worth grabbing and holding on to. And Jesus wanted Jairus to know his power to heal. He, he, I think the reason he stopped and let this woman in, interrupt them was so that he could show Jairus, watch what I have the power to do to, to bolster his faith. But in the process, Jesus let Jairus' little girl die. Perhaps Jesus wanted Jairus to know something more than his healing power. Perhaps what Jairus needed to know was that Jesus would do abundantly more than he ever asked or thought. And Jesus took him home and showed him, not only do I have the power to heal, I have the power to resurrect from the dead. And does, does he have that power? Of course he does. Does he do it for everyone? No. There are several occasions that Jesus raised people from the dead during his ministry, but he didn't raise every dead person. But he does have that power to raise people from the dead. And that makes him worth grabbing hold of. And he wants you to know that even if he doesn't heal you now, those of you who are sick and all of us who are broken in our bodies, he does have the power to raise you later. 
So you can trust him. You should grab onto him and to his promise of resurrection. But there's one other thing that Mark wants Jairus and us to see about Jesus. There's one other thing that he wants us to grab hold of. Did you notice, I think it's in verses 34 and 35, how Mark juxtaposes the word daughter in two verses that tie these two stories together? The story of the bleeding woman and the story of the dying girl come together in the word daughter. Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Be at peace. And then it says, they came and said to, the, to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. It shifts from Jesus' interaction with one daughter to the interaction he has with another daughter. It's as if Jesus is saying to Jairus, Jairus, watch me, watch me. I have the same tender, father-like compassion that you have for your daughter. I have that for this daughter of mine. Don't you see that if I care about my daughter and the life she is losing, then I will care about your daughter too. Don't be afraid, Jairus. Don't be afraid. Don't let your fear keep you from believing, from grabbing hold of my tender, compassionate, father-like heart. Because I have that heart for you too, Jairus. Jesus wanted Jairus, and he wants you and me to grab hold of the power of his father-like love for us. Whether he heals or raises us, he loves us. Jesus says this to you. I have such tender affection for my children who suffer the brokenness inside them and the brokenness around them. I have so much tenderness for you that I will pour out my life blood for those whose life has been poured out and wasted. Jesus says to you, I will make my life unclean and outcast for you whose life has made you unclean and outcast. Jesus says to you, I will give away my life for the sin of those whose life has been taken away by their sin. Jesus says, I will give up my life in order to give you life. Jesus says, I will one day say to you, little one, little one, arise. And I will restore you to my father and your father forever. Jesus says, grab hold of my heart, little ones. Grab hold of my heart. And I will give you the life and the power that you've been grasping for all your life. I will be a father to you. And you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Jesus says to you and to me this morning, until you're ready to loosen your grip 
and on all the other so-called powers that you think will, will fix your fouled up, insecure, neurotic, exhausted life. Until you grab hold of my powerful and tender heart for you, you will not truly live. And this table, Paul said, when we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the death of Jesus until he comes. We proclaim that Jesus shed his blood, his life blood, to stop the flow of life that's been flowing out of us. That Jesus was raised from the dead, so he's the one who can grab your hand one day and said, arise. And all you got to do is come and grab hold of him because he loves you. Father, would you come and help us to have the kind of faith that touches the heart of Jesus because we have been shown in the word and in this table the Jesus that faith touches. Do that in us, we ask. Help us to hear your tender, tender voice. Daughter, son, I love you. Be at peace. I will make you well. Help us to hear that at this table, we ask in Christ's name. Amen.